Well, it's so great to be back, and uh, what a day, a day of looking forward, a new year. Um, Many people are thankful 2022 has ended. Um, I notice a lot of people who are looking for hope in everyday life or society or events or politics or something aren't very happy with 2022, and... um, got the power or something going on here. So we're going to look at um, a message that really hits on the opposite of hope. And we're going to find in a story of a couple that was childless and what God did, um, we're going to piggyback on them to go from despair to renewed hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace that makes your word and your promises, uh, your mercies are new every morning. Your word is living and active. It's because you're infinite, whatever you say takes on interesting properties. And it is living and active and able to, to divide and go right down to where we live. And so, Father, I pray for an outpouring of hope in the power of the Spirit for your people, that you would go to maybe hidden places in their hearts and, and speak a word of freedom and encouragement and eye-opening mercy and grace and that they would be able to emerge in this coming year with more joy and expectancy and expecting good things from you, uh, confidence in your goodness. And so, Father, would you visit us in the places where you have said no or you haven't answered or we're living with pain or we're living with denied good things we want but aren't receiving? Help us, Lord. Come to our aid and refresh us in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, we're going to be in Luke 1, and I can just think some people out there going, you know, Christmas is over. Why are we back in the first part of Luke? It's, I mean, we've heard enough about Christmas. Well, we're not going to talk about Christmas. We're going to talk about the lesser of two very important figures in the coming of Messiah, and that is We're going to look at John the Baptist, his birth. And what's interesting, Luke was a very historic, he was Greek, and he was a very careful historian. He researched his original sources. And what's really interesting is a couple places in Luke, it talks about Mary treasured these things in her heart. And you know how we know Mary treasured those things in her heart? Because Luke, a few decades later, was privileged to hear her tell him all about it. And so a lot of these these incidents that we're reading about, we have a firsthand eyewitness right in the middle, Mary, wife of Joseph, niece of the couple we're going to look at. So there's interesting family ties here, and she knows all these stories, and she told them to Luke. So we can have, as always, confidence that we're going to hear about Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we're going to get the inside story. Uh, from, from what the family saw and heard. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And I want to look at the first part of the outline is the dashed hopes of a godly couple. You had a godly couple, they wanted something more than anything in this life and didn't get it. Let's read. In the days of Herod, that'd be Herod the Great, king of Judea, Under Rome, he was a client king. There was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Okay, so Zacharias could trace his genealogy back to a 
a priestly forebearer, Abijah, who was a direct descendant of Aaron. So he was a priest. He was one of the rare and small group of people among the Jews who were officially and by genealogy priests. So his pedigree was unmatched. He had the right, he had the, the right people that he was descended from. And more than that, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. He married a priest's daughter. So we're, we're just keeping it in the family here. We've, we've got uh, priesthood on both sides, uh, the, the mom and the dad here of John the Baptist. So we, we've got, again, all the right, right checkboxes are being checked off. And, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were both righteous in the sight of God. How many times does Scripture describe someone that way? So they were very devout believers and followers of the Lord. They carefully kept the law. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Does that remind us of someone who has a book full of arguments with God? So, you know, in the Old Testament, who, who, who is described as a righteous person? Job, right? And both Job and Zacharias and Elizabeth are going to have a problem. They did everything right and something bad and not something good happened to them because it says they had no child. My friends, we are used to benefits and, and pensions and things that provide for us in our old age. Well, back then, your social security was having preferably lots of sons who would work hard and take care of you and have you come into their house and set up a little grandpa suite or whatever, and you'd, you'd be looked after. Well, if you have no, no children, you got nobody. You're on your own. And worse, all that you own would go to some other branch of the family. So being childish, childless, is terrible. And it says Elizabeth was barren. She was beyond natural, normal means of conceiving a child. She was of that age. And they were both advanced in years. They were both up there in years. So not only did they not have any children, it was too late. That's done. A contradiction. Do you remember your Old Testament? What could a righteous person expect under the if-then conditions of the law? What, you know, what, what would, according to Deuteronomy and a little bit in, in Numbers, what, what could and should a righteous person accept, you know, expect? Blessings, right? You follow the Lord, you keep his commands, you're blessed. If you don't, curse, 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 curse. So here's a couple whose conduct seemingly deserve blessings under the law, but the wicked people were cursed with childlessness. So this situation completely mixed up the reward-punishment thing that we all kind of have within us. Good things should happen to good people, and bad things should happen to bad people. Amen? There's a problem with that. It doesn't always work out that way especially in this life. 
It's interesting to me, this, this, uh, this whole situation. My, my parents had infertility for 12 years back in the 50s and early 60s before I came along and then my sister. And, and so uh, infertility is a part of my family story. And my wife and I also ran into troubles, and she had to go through some terrible treatments. And what a difficult thing it was to have kids for my parents, for my wife and I. So this, this story kind of resonates in a deep way because our family's been there. Here's something to keep in mind. There are three kinds of grace we see in the Bible. The first kind is the, the grace of fellowship, where if you walk with the Lord and walk in his ways, you will enjoy fellowship and intimacy with the Most High God. It will go better for you than if you defy him and do your own thing. You know, that's, that's a legitimate kind of grace, intimacy grace, the grace that comes from walking with and, and, and following the Lord. And we understand that, don't we? That, that makes a lot of sense. So there's a problem, though, that what do we really deserve? There's a, there's a little problem with, with the because of kind of grace. Because I do the right things. We get right back into that God should then... If you look in paganism, I remember reading, I think it's the, 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 the Iliad, the, the, the army that goes off to fight against Troy because they stole one of the prettiest queens of Greece. And so, you know, a thousand ships are going after, you know, Helen and, and Paris and all these, you know. And, and I remember reading this, and there was this one place in the story where the hero, Achilles, didn't get what he wanted out of the gods, and so his prayer was launching off into a tirade, complaining that after I've done all these sacrifices, this is what you give me? Well, if we're not careful about reward and punishment thinking or only know the grace of obedience, the grace of fellowship, we can easily fall into, and this is how you treat me after all I've done? Now, Let's not kid ourselves. Every one of us, I think, at some time or another, has had those thoughts. How could you? That's why there's some other kinds of grace that we're going to be finding out that lead us forward and through that, that, that roadblock, that trap that we can fall into. Well, let's move forward. Now what happened... And I love the language here. It's like, you know, just events happened, you know, and there's nothing particularly significant, but it just, it just happened that while Zacharias was performing his priestly service before God, so, so they divided up the priestly uh, descendants into certain, you know, 24 different clans, and each one would have a duty up in Jerusalem to minister at the temple and do certain things. So it was Zacharias' clan's turn. Their number was up. So they were up in Jerusalem doing their thing. And according to the custom of the priestly office, Zacharias was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense twice a day, morning and evening. A priest would go into the holy place, not the holy of holies, 
but the next place out, the, the, the closest you could get to God's special place on earth and put some fresh, sweet-smelling incense on there. The smoke would rise. It would be a soothing, pleasing aroma before the Lord. And they would tie a little rope on you so in case God struck you dead, they could pull you out. You, you didn't just blunder into the holy place. It was, it, this was going to be the peak experience of his priestly career his number came up, and he got to go in. And while he's doing this, the whole multitude of the people are outside in the various courts of the temple uh, praying, adding their prayers to his incense, because incense kind of represented the prayers of God's people going up to the Lord, so they were joining, joining in this. And then as he's throwing this incense on the fire, an angel of the Lord appears. Now, what usually happened when people were close to that Holy of Holies? And um, if, you're, if you had some remembrance of Exodus, what happened when people kind of blew it and didn't do a good job in the, the altar before the Lord? What, what could they expect? They'd be struck dead. Okay? So Zacharias sees the angel and goes, Ooh! He's thinking he's a goner. It's the angel of death, and I'm, a, I'm doomed. Remember Isaiah in, in, in Isaiah 6? You know, he sees a vision of the Lord, and he's like, I'm undone. I, I, you know, again, when you see the living God, or you're in it, you know, whoa. But then the angel does something. Verse 13, the angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, because here we have a divine messenger of greater hope. We, we had a, a dash hopes of a godly couple. Part two is divine messenger of a greater hope. And so the angel says, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And he's probably thinking, uh, what petition? Because when you're past childbearing years, do you keep on praying for a child? It's done. So what's interesting is his, his long-ago prayers that he and his wife were praying, the angel says, hey, it's happening. You, will, you and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. And that would have been like, what a great message from the angel. Hallelujah, we're going to have a child. He probably would have been very happy at that point. But then the angel goes on. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Excellent. You know, a lot of other people are going to be happy. We're having a son. Great. Sounds good. And, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Wow, for a priest, oh, that's, that's, that's great. And he will drink no wine or liquor, so he's going to be a Nazarite, a very elite servant of the Lord, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So this son is going to have a high and special level of restrictions and a very deep empowerment by the Spirit for whatever great thing he's going to do. And you're thinking as, as a parent like, yeah, keep, keep talking. This is great. And then he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Oh, your son's going to bring about a national spiritual revival. 
Amen? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great? I mean, how long have the Jewish people been waiting for a fresh word from God? This is the 400 years of silence, people. That's almost as long as from the Mayflower to right now. That's a long time to have no vision, no word, no prophet from God, nothing. So what's interesting is not only did Zacharias and Elizabeth go a long time and have nothing, silence, no answer, but the nation Israel had 400 years of silence, nothing, no answer, nothing but a succession of conquerors, Babylon, Persia, Alexander the Great and his Greek armies, and then a little, little gap there with the Maccabean revolt, Hanukkah, and then they're under the cruelest, hardest empire of the ancient world, Rome. From bad to worse, to worse, to worse. 400 years. So when the angel comes to say, God's going to use this boy, he's going to grow up and be a prophet, he's going to turn many back, and it is he, verse 17, who will be a forerunner before him. Who's him? Messiah. In the spirit and power of Elijah, according to Malachi 3 and 4, there was going to be a returning Elijah before the Messiah would come in the great day of the Lord. And all of the centuries of prayers of the beleaguered, besieged, oppressed Jewish nation were longing and hoping and praying for Messiah. And the angel is telling, telling Zacharias, it's, it's here. Your son's going to be the key guy to kind of transition from where we're at now to Messiah's life and ministry. Wow. Is that good news, folks? I mean... If you were told, hey, your grandson's going to become a, a guy God uses to bring national revival to the United States, how many grandparents would say, oh, that's okay? We'd be like, yes! Hallelujah! The wait is over. Some of us have been praying for revival for decades and decades. Wow. You know, it's been interesting, as I have, uh, <laughs> enjoy is definitely a sarcastic way of putting it, but I, I had the long COVID insomnia, you know, when the weakness after three weeks went away, it's like a switch got flipped and all of a sudden I'm sleeping four and five hours and I have this killer mind fog and you know, just, just crippling, crippling, like utter, utter exhaustion. I have never in all my life known that intense and you're not getting enough REM sleep, so irritability, and you're just shutting down in so many ways. And it went on week after week after week after week, month after month after month. And then, interestingly, God uses that to drill down deep. And, and I run into another kind of those interesting kinds of grace there's because of grace, grace of obedience, grace of fellowship. Now, here's another kind. In, have nothing to do with you, grace. God is just being God. 
What Zacharias and Elizabeth were going through, the angels basically saying, it wasn't about you being childless. It was about you having this son at just the right time for revival and, and forerunner for the Messiah and Messiah to come. And I didn't tell you because I'm God and I don't have to explain myself, but that's what's going on. It's not about you. Boy, I'll tell you, that, that is so often, if you walk through those dark trials, often on the other side of it, all that you've learned and grown becomes blessing for other people going through that same thing. And then you realize, oh, oh, it's, it's, it's not about me. In fact, it was about this and him. Oh, light bulb goes on. You see, when we only have because of grace in our thinking, we don't, we, we don't have room for this God's just being God. He's, the Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115. He has plans and purposes, my friends, that we as finite, tiny little people, we can't possibly imagine the, the infinite, indescribable, unfathomable plans and purposes and will of God. Hate to demote your ego, but it's the truth. It's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not about now. But if you'll notice and study toddlers, we're born with this ability to think it's always about us, and it's about right now. I want what I want, I want it now. Well, you know, we just disguise it better as adults than, than temper tantrum toddlers do, but it's still there. And God wants us to grow out of that and realize there's more going on than you. The problem with our friend Zechariah is he stopped listening. And I'm going to show he stopped listening. Verse 18, the doubtful response of a despairing man. Here's a man who did all the right things. And the time was passed for children. And then this angel shows up. And his response in verse 18, it says, well, well, how will I know this? For I am, I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. In the Greek, it's interesting. He doesn't have to say, I am, with words. He can just say it with the verb. So he's like saying, I am an old man. Do you not understand? And there's a little humor here because the angel is going to use the very same thing. He's going to say, well, I am Gabriel. <laughs> and it's interesting. We make an identity out of something that hurts us or that breaks our spirit or that crushes our hopes. We make an entire approach and identity out of it. And we, that's more real to us than God is. We put that as a frame around God instead of putting the Lord as a frame around the sorrows. So we get the wrong window. We're seeing it from the wrong perspective, and that's a perspective of despair. Despair. Despair isn't just feeling low, feeling discouraged, things looking bleak. It's not just giving up on the thing we may never receive. It's giving up on not even God will or can help. Now, we know our theology. We wouldn't say it out loud. 
By the way, you know, when I was a young Christian, my sin nature shouted, and then I got, got onto it, and then it just spoke. And then after a certain while, when I, when I got more discerning, it whispered. And now I find it just silently puts a little feeling there. The evil within us is very subtle. We may not even consciously be saying, boy, I'm in despair, but we may have a feeling flooding our heart, a silent, wordless root of despair just there. I've stopped expecting good from God. And how do you think I know this? Well, I'll tell you, were there some despairing moments in long COVID? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then when my wife and I went through what I affectionately term church hell about 10, 12 years ago, and God wouldn't release me, I was begging him, God, just let me go. I don't want to stay here. And he's like, nope, nope, you're saying I plans and purposes. Quitting and running is not, not my will. And it was brutal. It was painful. And God didn't stop it. God didn't prevent it. It just went on and on and on and on and on. And those are the hardest things when God doesn't prevent something and then God doesn't take it away if it's painful. Or if there's something we so much want and no action, no change. We don't get the good thing. So one of the things that really was confronting Zacharias is this sovereign plan of God and Zacharias, his first response is, I'm, I'm old. Did God not get the memo? It's too late. That's despair talking. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. Now, back in Daniel 8, Gabriel was the mighty angel, one of the mightiest of the mighty angels that God sent to Daniel to give him the good news of future for his nation Israel, the 70 weeks, the the four different beasts, you know, all that stuff that would lead to the Messiah, to God's kingdom crushing and destroying all the other... So, So he is the herald of good news. When you get Gabriel, it's gonna be good. Okay? It's a, it's, he's a good one. You don't want the angel of death. You want Gabriel. That's, that's who we want. The good news angel, Gabriel. And then he says some things that are difficult. And, but he says, well, first of all, I stand in the front row seat among the angels. I am literally beholding the very face of God right there. I'm in God's holy, infinite presence continuously. I'm, I'm in that, I'm that level. And number two, Um, I have been sent by God himself to speak to you. I literally have come from the throne of the universe to you. Number three, to bring you this good news. And look, he's like, now look, Zachariah. Okay, here's what's going to happen. You shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you didn't believe you're going to have a little quiet time. A very long extended quiet time of about nine months. Because I want you to zip this and I want you to think about what I've told you. 
You see, there's another kind of grace here, but look, look, keep reading. Which will be fulfilled at their proper time. You know, we would kind of expect, oh, Zacharias, you blew it. Okay, no baby for you. No happiness, no joy for your village. Sorry, but we're not going to send the forerunner of the Messiah. Offers are revoked, and it's on you. That's not what God does. Through the angel, he corrects the unbelief in a redemptive way to cure it, and he still gives the good that he promised to give. That's what I call in spite of grace. Oh, people, when great things happen to the wicked, that's grace. God's blessing for people who deserve his cursing, that's grace. That's what God gives to the undeserving. This is what rubs the performance, reward, punishment, because of, if then, kind of mentality, it, 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 it rubs the fur the wrong way because it's humbling. It's only humbling like that has nothing to do with you kind of grace, but it's humbling because, hey, it's in spite of you. That's, that's not very flattering. But thank God, it is in spite of us. God is determined to send Messiah to the Jewish people. He's determined to have a forerunner, a choice servant called John the Baptist. He didn't withdraw John the Baptist. He is determined to revive his people, so John's ministry succeeded. And there is still going to be joy for the clan and village of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and there is still going to be personal joy for he and Elizabeth. None of that was revoked in the presence of despair. Doesn't that give you hope? That God is going to be God. He's going to be gracious. He's going to be good because that's who he is. And he graces the undeserving. He lavishes love on sinners. He redeems and calls losers, failures. There's not many mighty, not many wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world, the things that are not. You see, that's how God operates. And it's only because of in spite of us, grace, that any of us are here today, that any of us know the Lord, that any of us have been blessed by God, that any of us have a bright future eternally, that any of us have been born again and transformed deep within, that any of us are clean and forgiven and indwelt by the Spirit, and mysteriously part of his family, the church, with Christ as the head. All that we received, and heaven too, as an undeserved gift. And that's exactly what's happening here in this moment of unbelief and despair. And the angel says, we're still going to do it. Offer not revoked. It's interesting. I find that when I look at those bleak moments of long COVID and church hell, and I'm trying to think there was some other you know, bleak thing that, but I remember, oh, I've been praying for revival. 
praying for, praying for McMinnville, praying for national revival. And it almost feels like we're going the wrong direction. And I went to some conference on citywide gospel movements, and, and, and I heard some people there who, despite how dark it had become, were still looking to the Lord, expecting positive, fresh things from God. God's on the move. God's on the march. Just like he was here setting up Messiah, he was on the move. And I realized I have stopped asking him for fresh, good things. I'm kind of in a holding pattern gritting it through. But that expectancy and that, you know, what, what positive thing would you like to call down from heaven into which lives and situations are you praying that? Or are you just treading water? Generic, vanilla, you can't even tell if they're answered kind of prayers. Nothing specific. Because if it's specific, you might get a No. And you could tell it's a no, and that's painful, and you don't want to you don't deal with that pain. See, the the spare thing just feeds on itself. We're protecting our heart from further heartbreak and dashed hopes, and so we play it safe. And I love that the Lord sent the angel not just to bring this wonderful news of God's sovereign plans and purposes coming together. It's not about Zacharias or Elizabeth. It's about God's plan and purposes, and it's in spite of them. Despite all of their priestly service and pedigree and performance under the law, God knew all along there was a root of despair, and he corrected it. Well, thankfully, the story continues, and I think we know it, and that is he's born. Go to verse 59, or 57. Now at that time came Elizabeth bore a son and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed great mercy towards her and they were doing what? They were rejoicing. Elizabeth and Zechariah, are they, are they joyous? Check that one off, yes. Is, the, is their little clan and village happy? Yep. So two promises down. And then they're quarreling about all the rel- you know, it's, it's, it's always fun, isn't it? When people who wag their tongues about you in a negative way all of a sudden become your buddy and start like wanting to join the party when something good happens to you. And so here they are telling Elizabeth, you need to name him after his father. And she's like, mm-mm, not, not doing it. And verse 60, his name will be John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives. That doesn't make sense. So I said, she's, we're not getting anywhere with her. Zacharias, we need you to speak here. So here's a tablet. His name is John. Not just will be, but is. That's faith. And once that happens, his mouth is open, his tongue is loose, and he began to speak in praise of God. And verse 65, fear came upon all those living around them. People began to go, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. This was like a 99-day wonder. This was something people just were talking about for a long time. All those little villages, the tongues were wagging. They were, uh, whatever the opposite of negative gossip, the, the good gossip about God's good work. Okay, so we had positive anti-gossip going on here. Okay, we had praise and wonderment over the Lord. And, and then they all were... Th- asking, what will then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord is certainly on him. We're talking about expectancy. 
We're talking about hope. We're talking about the lifting of despair. We're talking about a realization that God is on the move in spite of us according to his sovereign will and plans and purposes. And it's not going to stop. And he's, he's up to something great. And therefore, we can't wait to find out what it is. We know later, Zacharias is filled with the Spirit and gives a prophecy. But do you see the beautiful picture? We have a, a godly couple who have dashed hopes. God sends a messenger of a greater, better hope than just having a child. You have the response of a despairing man. Eh, don't you know I'm old? And then God, in spite of that bad response, still gives the blessing. My friends, if you haven't been a shining star of positivity, if you struggle with gloom and tempted to give up on some of those good things or feeling like the bad things will never leave and not even God can change them and you're in a play of place of despair, not open, secret despair. You wouldn't dare tell anyone, but it's there and God sees it. Join with me in those dark moments I've had to go through in finding comfort in God has plans and purposes. It doesn't have to be about you and it doesn't have to be about now. He's up to something awesome. And maybe it will be after we're gone that some blessings on planet Earth happen after we're in heaven. We, we may not see it right now. It may be later. But we can take heart in the faithfulness of the Lord in being wonderfully good in ways we can't even imagine. And number two, take comfort in, it's not because you're responding so well. He's determined to love you in spite of you. He will. He's going to insist on being good to you. When you're not so great to yourself and you haven't been so great to him, now he'll correct it like Gabriel did, had to correct the unbelief, but he's determined to do you good, and he has already done you in Christ the riches and blessings and status of righteous in the sight of God and all the blessings. You are winners. Amen. You've won the divine infinite jackpot. Congratulations. Let someone else win $700 million on lotto or whatever the jackpot is. That stuff's all going to burn. It's all going to be faded and gone. But what we have in him will last forever and ever. In fact, Paul says that if you're going through hard times and you're suffering, Paul says in a, that you know, with every penny of suffering, you get a million dollars of glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I'd call that a good deal. I'd say we can't lose. Despair is you can't win. Hope is... And that's the key word, friends. We have a gloomy, despairing nation, and we are agents and spokespeople of hope in Jesus Christ, not just for this life, but for the life to come. And it's time we lost the gloomy Gusses and Debbie Downers, the faces, that are disconnected from him and his ways and his grace, and we return and be restored and personally revived in our hope. Amen? Amen? And there's nothing stopping you or stopping me. If we want to go there, the Spirit of God is say, take my hand, I'm going to take you there. And you may kick and scream, but I'm going to take you there. 
because I love you in spite of you. All right? Make sense? All right, so there's a happy new year message to get you going spiritually in 2023. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that there's so much more to you than I would ever understand. Your plans and purposes are un, un, I can't even begin to begin to know and understand all that your plans and purposes and thank you for gracing my heart in spite of me. Thank you for loving your people here in spite of them. That yes, you love it when we walk in your ways and are intimate with you, but you love us in spite of our sins and failures and struggles and gloom. And you're still at work in beautiful, incomprehensible ways that maybe, maybe we'll get to understand later two or three of your million reasons why you did what you did. So God, revive us, renew us in hope, cast off of us oppression and gloom and despair. In Jesus' name, amen.